mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Thank you for tuning in to episode 42 of Putting In Work. I'm your host, John Peck, and we're about two months away from episode 50. I just put out a poll on Twitter, which the majority of you have responded to saying you'd like a mailbag for that episode, so that's what we're going to do. Feel free to send in your questions. In fact, please send in your questions, the hashtag 50PIW, or you can private message me however you like to get those questions in. It's going to be a lot of fun, hopefully. I do really value the input of my listeners. And I've got the review of the week here from a few months ago. Evans Alexandre from USA says, First time listener, I genuinely loved the Sean Pitts episode. Shout out to Sean Pitts. I found that a ton of what was said in that episode really resonated with me. If you're young and ambitious and you have a hunger for knowledge about how to gain success, I think you'd really enjoy this podcast. Thank you very much, Evans. Anyone with an interest in any creative field today, I think will appreciate what Henrik Peterson has to say. Henrik is the game designer and director of The Gardens Between, which is an indie game being developed by the Voxel Agents out of Melbourne and was recently announced at Paris Games Week to be coming to the PlayStation 4, as well as PC. So that's very exciting. I got a chance to catch up with Henrik in Melbourne just a few weeks ago. This is the last podcast of my PAX series, and I found Henrik a really interesting interview. He was very intellectual, but also somewhat spiritual about his approach to uh, the creative process in video games. So unlike other guests I've had before who are artists or game programmers, Henrik's job is to design the puzzles and the actual gameplay involved in these video games. So The Gardens Between is a very nostalgic puzzle platformer where two children basically navigate a spherical platform, solving puzzles from, I guess, their memories and childhood. It's very surreal. It's very Alice in Wonderland-ish. That was my take on it anyway. But anyway, here is Henrik to talk about The Gardens Between his involvement with that, how he got into games, how he views that creative process, and a whole bunch of other ideas we got into during this conversation. Please forgive the busy background noise of PAX and enjoy the show. So let's start with what you do at the moment. Can you describe your role in uh, Voxel Agents? What what your role has been with that company, what you do on this game Gardens Between. Yeah, yeah. And then we'll go back and explain how you got there. Okay, okay sure. Um, so, uh, name's Henrik, Henrik Peterson. I work as a designer uh, at the Voxel Agent, and I'm also the director of uh, the Gardens Between. Uh, so, that's my role, and day to day, that means that uh, I'm making sure, I guess, that the group is staying on track, that the decision is being made that is aligned with the kind of the core pillar of the games. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, also running a bit of production because we're a small team, just making sure that tasks are being delivered and done. And on top of that, I'm also doing design work, which is more uh, pen and paper, drawing out puzzles, coming up with ideas and concepts for how those can kind of work in the game. So how did you get into games professionally? I did a course, a games course, at um, up in Brisbane at the QCA. Through that, I submitted my games to a couple of festivals here in Melbourne. I got to meet the Voxel Agents through that and got a position as a junior designer there and helped building level for Train Conductor 2, which was the game that they had just released at that point. Uh, since then, I... Uh, made my own game with them which was uh, Puzzle Retreat and since then I've been uh, working on The Gardens Between Okay, and 
what about the skills that you've uh, built up over time? Was it something where you were tinkering with it when you were younger, or was it literally just the course that you studied that gave you the ability to make games? Mm, you don't really learn to make games until you're making games, and now my course wasn't really focused around that. I did previously. I definitely did some tinkering uh, with games before that, but I think more than anything, I was keen to design not necessarily games but play with my friends. I was really the person who wanted to define rules if we were doing some sort of games that we were playing outdoors and things like that. The unit course that I did, the biggest takeaway I got from that was not the games course but around me there was, because this was at the QCA and the film school is next door and there was animation being taught there and sound design and lots of arts. So while the game principle was kind of part of that there, I think the things that I really enjoyed was learning uh, film language, script, screenwriting, uh, music theory, and those type of things. Because yeah. I guess they're all elements of what goes into a game. It's a yeah, bringing absolutely. together those different mediums. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The more kind of a breadth that you have, games is very tricky because it includes everything uh, in those other areas as well. So... I have a massive obsession with music and um, that's the thing that I've been able to bring into games um, and yeah yeah okay and what, what is it that made you decide you wanted to work in that area I think I, I did really enjoy playing games as almost everyone here at PAX uh, <laughs> as a kid I think it's more that I'm really want to understand how things are constructed and built and I really want to understand the magic that's being made, what's going on behind the scenes. I want us to understand how things are functioning and how it's how it's made. And games has a lot of exciting things to learn about that. It has music, it has cinematography, a lot of photo theory, color theory, and um, programming, and maths and physics. Um, there's a lot of things to uncover, which aligned a lot with the things that I'm interested in. Sure. So you worked on some games of your own before joining Voxelatons? Yeah, yeah. Um, I have made both games before I went to Voxelatons and also I was doing some years when I was freelancing. Um, so I was at the Voxelatons, I did freelancing for a bit and then I came back to the Voxelatons. And what's it like working with the team after originally doing your own stuff completely by yourself? Working in a team is necessary for making games there are some people who can do them all by myself themselves but um, that's very rare time, yeah. yeah yeah and it takes a very very long time and in many cases working with other people does produce kind of better results uh, you get a lot of inputs and you get a lot of interesting kind of thoughts and feeling that is kind of blends together that is cool um, communication in a team is very difficult particularly when you're working on something as complex as games um, it's probably one of the biggest things that you have to always learn on, like the complex uh, complexities in learning how to script and how to get better at art. But being able to com- communicate well is trumps all of those things. If you're a good communicator, it's yeah, it's probably the most important things for making games. Yeah. So I guess it would be challenging when you're trying to make something as good as. You can, but then people might feel defensive about their work and yeah, yeah. you're telling them that it can be better or that it should be like this or that kind of thing. So how do you, you mentioned communication being a challenge, how do you do that? 
Well, as you do it more, you get more experienced with it. And you learn to see when emotions get into it. So if I'm getting, say, frustrated in a discussion, I usually flag that and say, hey, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting a bit defensive right now, but I want to get this out. Uh, that can be a good way. And something that we're still learning. I'm 31 now, and it was really hard to identify when I was getting upset or when other people were getting upset. And the more you do it, the more kind of experienced you get in handling that mm. and catching it. It's really important to see, okay, um, my animator today is um, we are having a lot of fights. Uh, so check in with them and kind of like, are you okay? And chat to your teammates, like they're your friends too, and you want to make sure that they're happy. Sure. So a lot of the indie devs here at PAX are working on games, I suppose, as hobbies in their spare time. Um, are you in a position where you're able to do this as a job and that you can put a lot more of your time into it? Yeah, yeah. Um, we've been full-time on this for many years and I've been a full-time employee at Voxel Agents for, I think, almost uh, six years in total. Um, the Voxel Agents have uh, previously released Train Conductor World and other Train Conductor games as well as Puzzle Retreat, which has all been uh, successful games and has been able to bring in revenue for the company and has provided us uh, with the ability to make games our own like this. And in addition to that, there are the um, support pillars here in Victoria, Screen Australia uh, and Film Victoria, which is able to also help with funding um, if they see projects out there or studios that they can contribute to the I guess, culture. It must be a challenge when a lot of indies are starting out because, like you mentioned, this game's development is possible because of previous games that made money, but there yeah, must yeah. be you know, that starting point where there's, there isn't any money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, it's a very, very tall mountain to climb, for sure. And um, I had the, like, I guess, the privilege of not being part of the foundation of the Voxel Agents. They were there for two years before I joined the company. And they were there at the right time when the iPhone was released and was able to release Train Conductor uh, quite early on. Um, today it's a much, much more competitive area, but they were, yeah, they were quick and nimble and was able to release Train Conductor at a time, but it was fully possible to do that as a very small team. And actually make some money up it too, because I, mean, I know a lot of mobile games go out there, you know, there's so many that are free that it's, I guess yeah. the funding model is a bit difficult. But yeah, and big companies are spending as much money today on the mobile games as they are on the big console games. Right. It's, uh, yeah, it's big. So EA, FireMonkey here in uh, Melbourne, for example, their mobile team is as big as their other teams that is working on the same for speed. Sure. So when you um, set out to make Gardens Between, what was the direction and goal of this? I guess it's a story, but it's also an experience. Yeah. The goal that I set out to do was a game that first had a um, new puzzle mechanic, super accessible, and told a genuine story. And those are incredibly ambitious things, maybe a bit too ambitious. Um, and these were all things that, sure, I'd made Puzzle Retreat before, which was an original puzzle mechanic. Um, but those other aspects of making story, I had no experience with. And this is part of why this development has 
taking so long. There's an enormous amount of things to learn there. What's the production time so far? Yeah, so three, four years, I think. Yeah, wow. Uh, and has, time. have you been evolving the goals as you go, or is it still that the original vision is still what you're aiming for? The original goal has always been the same, but the project has been built and crashed and been built again, I think, a couple of times uh, before we kind of get to a point where we are getting better at it. We're also pretty, I guess, a team of a bit of perfectionists, and I think some of these previous iterations of the game could have been developed into complete projects, um, but we had a vision in mind. And, yeah. And for indie developers, is there? Do you find that there's a sense that they enjoy just making indie games, or do some have the desire to use that as a, I guess, a career building block to work at a bigger company and working on some bigger games? There's everyone for sure. You have the passionate indie artist uh, who wants to make their own thing. You have people who have a kind of a grounded understanding in business and the requirement for getting money into the company in order to actually make it possible. Um, and you have people who are very ambitious in their idea of like, I want to make a big studio. There's all of them around for sure. And where do you fall in that? Oh, I've definitely been on the more arty uh, side of things for a long time. But it gets more tricky as you, uh, I think, get a bit older. It's a definitely a position of having a lot of things around you. You can't just go out and make, like um, like I said, the Voxel Agents being a company who has train conductor and those kind of things there. I've been working without a publisher telling us what to do. It's a very rare position and one that is, yeah, super rare and very, I guess, privileged. Today I think I'm a bit more aware of it's not just making cool things. You have to also make a project product in the end that works. And there's also all these other things. Like at uni, I was very uh, focused on like making artistic things. Um, but life kind of comes uh, <laughs> and hits you quite a bit uh, as you start working. And you need to pay your rent. I suppose that's the challenge for any artist is if I want to do the things I love and and just do those things I love I need to make money out of it and to make yeah. money out of it I have to do a little bit differently yeah absolutely yeah so what would you say has been the hardest part of uh, getting to the point you're at now working at this studio and uh, building up all these skills that have been required to have definitely like you have a lot of responsibility as the leader of a team and when things don't go as you want you have to be able to still get the project moving onwards and being able to talk to people well. And that is really difficult. Um, being a leader of a team also means that if things are working, it's good. You, if things are not working, it's, um, it's kind of, it really starts crumbling. Um, and as... Um, it's hard for a leader to for people to say like he's doing a really good job I think because um, like things just needs to work. And, uh, same with the designs in general. Designs is the best when it's visible that you you don't want to see it. That means it's working. <laughs> um, but yeah, communication is uh, has been the by far the most difficult things to learn. Uh, being able to 
communicate with the team, setting clear goals, making sure everyone's happy. Uh, yeah. Okay. And what's the relationship with the gamer? Because ultimately you're creating something for them to enjoy. So how often are you thinking about them when you're working? The team, we're gamers ourselves that, that really love playing games. So we build, we know quite intuitively when we know when things aren't quite working. Um, and we also do testing a fair bit. Uh, it's hard to get the perspective of the player when you're in the studio. Uh, so that's why we do events like did like packs, particularly leading up to packs. We do lots of testing, making sure that uh, things are kind of aligning. Sure, because I suppose you can get very close to it and it might make sense to you because you've spent hundreds of hours doing it mm. but then someone else can come along and get stuck on something. Yeah, Maybe. yeah. Is that something you've found? Oh, absolutely. That's um, a tough thing. Uh, very early on as a games designer, you do need to learn to kind of kill your darlings. Uh, and it's really tough every time you do it because you put your heart and mind into something and then it doesn't work and then you have to be able to like, this doesn't work, I have to redo this or do it in a different way. Yeah. I suppose especially with puzzle-based games, that must be a thing that you have to think about constantly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it is easy to get, like you said, trapped in kind of your own mind for a long time. So you need those kind of reality checks quite frequently uh, to kind of make sure, like, oh, this is working, actually. Yeah. And as far as building puzzles, does inspiration come from other games that you've played or is it just sitting down and trying to do something original? That's a, like a funny one. Where does it come from? Um, a lot of people are very spiritual about that, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, about puzzles? About like the creative process, right, like where sure. ideas come from. I tend to sit down with pen and paper and, and be drawing. Uh, I tend to move around a lot when I do uh, sit down and, and draw. Um, you don't want to be sitting too much in front of the computers, so I tend to go to one location for a bit, sit there and sketch for a bit, and then I maybe done 20 minutes there, I move to a different location. Um, at the old arcade, I would sometimes climb up to the roof uh, and sit there and draw. And currently I'm, I'm living in Vietnam uh, and working with the team remote, so that is a great place because everything there is so I think unfamiliar yeah. uh, and lots of new ideas and inspirations. Not really the kind of place you associate with game development. No, but a, uh, I think I find it to be a very creatively fulfilling place to uh, be working from. So a day where I'm doing puzzles, I tend to be moving between maybe three, four cafes. Maybe if I find a park, I sit there and draw for a bit. Uh, and uh, the, the sketches... Uh, it's good having different things around you that can kind of maybe function as inspiration. Uh, but then again, um, very practically, getting those concepts into the game later on, that's where you want to sit down with the team and talk about, how can you do this? Because a brainstorming session, we have four brains, uh, moves very quickly and uh, can be like, really good for getting cool practical ideas done. So what would be your advice to uh, people starting out with, uh, whether it's just a creative artistic project, which you're obviously very familiar with, or specifically game development on an indie level? Go to the game jams. They, they're really great because uh, you get to see the whole process in a very short amount of time. Here in Melbourne, you have um, the Global Game Jam. There's the 48 Hour up in Brisbane. There's the uh, Tig Jam. Um, there are heaps of little game jams around and they're great because you yeah you get to try out the whole process 
and that might be something that even a um, someone who's worked in games for a year but haven't released one yet that experience you get at Game Jam is the, kind of the complete thing so is that essentially just indies coming together and showing off each other oh sorry so the Game Jam is where um you go to a location and you make a game usually in 48 hours. Right, okay. Yeah, so I haven't heard of that. It sounds like a combination of improvisation and artistic ability. So. As, a, um, as a new, uh, fairly fresh person coming in, like you're very quickly going to learn about not to overscope things. That is the problem that uh, new designers do and all designers do. And it's the biggest thing that you kind of want get to get your appreciation for early on. So... You kind of get scope control uh, during the game jam and uh, also get a taste of the communications because they're kind of like you know, be fighting within the team and yeah. <laughs> and what kind of uh, games come out of that period? Oh, they're really cool. You can check them out at the Global Game Jam's website. Many times, I promise you, a lot of the games you would see on the indie floor right now are games that came from the game jam early on. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the great things about walking the floor is just seeing some of the crazy creative ideas that people can come up with it's yeah. inspiring yeah. usually the game jam works like this you're given either a theme or three words and then you have to make a game around those three words and that is really helpful because it constrains a little bit what you're working with and there must be a, just a vast variety of yeah, ideas yeah. that come out of it too oh absolutely uh, so after 48 hours you, you walk the floor and there's heaps of ideas there and it's really cool seeing what people are made that's awesome so that's your advice. Uh, is there anything at kind of a larger scale level of maybe you mentioned that there's, some people see it as a spiritual thing, but is there something on that level you could advise people to, to help out? I think um, if there is a desire to go ahead, I think that desire is going to carry you uh, a long way. But you can kind of see that in students that I meet. Like you can kind of tell the ones that are really focused and really want to make games. They're the ones that so continue. To sure. And you're working in small teams, but is there a sense of a community of, of indie games as well where you talk about the stuff you're working on? Is it is it open yeah. like that? So in Melbourne we have the um, the arcade, which is a uh, hub where heaps of game companies working. So there's definitely a lot of sharing of ideas uh, in that space, which is really cool. Because I can walk downstairs and I can get Ed, who's working for a different company, and I can say, hey, Ed, we are having some problems with our shaders. Can you come and have a, help us with that? Or we need some help doing a port to a different platform. So the people who are really good in the office can help us out with that. And there's also a surprise attack there who's a publisher. So, um, yeah. Fantastic. Okay. So last question for you. If you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? If I could do anything, are we talking about the limitations to like the rules of physics? And <laughs> <laughs> well, you you can answer it however you want. Um, and then I'll ask a follow-up, maybe. <laughs> I can't fail? Yeah. That's tough. I think the rewards come from the, the fact that there's risk involved. Um, and if I can't fail, like... Then the the idea, I guess, of reward is uh, is, is a way. Um, it might just be enjoyment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I could be, um, if I could do anything. 
it's a really good question. I haven't thought about it. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. I'd like to go to space. Yeah. Yeah, if I can go to space with that, with a lot of the risk negated, yeah. that would be really cool. Awesome. Yeah, that's a pretty good answer. Yeah. What about in the creative sphere? Let's, let's bring it down to just like games or artistic projects. Is there something that you would just love to work on, love to be part of, or be able to create? Yeah. Um, the reason why I picked space before is because I do like the explorative aspects of games. And like I said, setting out and creating games which have mechanics that hasn't maybe been done before, that's the kind of thing that I want to continue doing. If I can continue to be like in a place where I can explore things, and in a way where I feel like this, no one has done this before. Like, uh, if I can keep on doing that, that is kind of, yeah, what I want to do. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining me. Appreciate Thank you so much. much. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening. That was Henrik Peterson. You can check him out on Twitter at VGHPE. Check out the Voxel Agents and the Gardens Between all over the internet. Get into that indie goodness. As always, I'm on Twitter at Johnny himself. And until next week, keep putting in work.